How are you? Today we're going to wrap up this six-part series entitled God's Gift of Mercy. If you're a guest with us today, if you'll just reach into your program, you'll be able to take out a teaching note there. And I'd like to invite you to take it out, all of us, uh, because I think it will give you some points to take home and also it will give you a, uh, some, something, a way for you to follow along with what I want to share with you this morning and that you can stay connected with this message. So uh, in this sermon series, we've been looking at uh, one passage of Scripture that is the overarching passage uh, for, the, for the past six weeks. And so we've been looking at Luke chapter 1, verse 78. It's come here on the screen. I invite you to read this text with me. A new day will dawn on us because our God is loving and merciful. Do you know how much God loves you? You know that God loves you unconditionally. You're going to say, well, Tom, does God really know what I've done? Does God really know how I've messed up? Because if God really knew what I've done, what I've said, there's no way that God will love me. Hear clearly. God loves you unconditionally. And then God gives us this mercy. And I define mercy uh, with this definition. Read it with me, please. Undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. So today I want to talk to you about what does it mean for us to be an agent of mercy in the world in which you live particularly, in the world in which we live together. What does it mean for you to be an agent of mercy? So I, I want to share something about my background. When I was a kid growing up, probably eight, nine, ten years of age, uh, I absolutely, absolutely wanted to be a secret agent. <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding. I, I, I thought, you know, FBI, CIA. I, I watched television shows. Now, this, this is going to age me. Some of you uh, are aged much beyond this, but I'm going to age myself. Uh, how many of you remember the television show, uh, The Man from Uncle? Yeah? Yeah. Remember that one? Uh, how, how many of you remember I Spy? Yeah. And you guys are really old. <laughs> I just really thought, wouldn't that be cool if I could become a, a secret agent like that and be able to carry something that is really significant and carry that in, out into the world. That would be pretty cool. Now, I'm going to share something with you that uh, I, I'm, I think I've shared with you before in my six years of being here. Today is my, the mark of my seventh year uh, with you, the beginning of that. And I just want to say this one thing to you. If you don't remember anything else that I ever, ever say, I want you to remember this. That God has called you to be an agent for God in the world in which you live, in the world in which we live. God is calling you not to be a secret agent, but God is calling you to be an agent that will change the world. Look at this text, Acts 1, verse 8. And it simply says, you will be my witness. You will be my witness. I, I think it's vitally important for us to understand what that word witness means. Witness, if you go to court and you're going to be testifying, you're going to be a witness, you're simply saying what you know, what you've seen. You're not trying to convince anybody of anything. You're not trying to convince the jury. 
you're just giving a witness. You're giving a testimony of what you, uh, what you have seen, what you've heard. And so that is what is being asked of you uh, as you're being considered, considering yourself to be an agent of God, God's mercy in the world in which we live in today, that you will simply share what you have seen, what you have heard, so that others around you, others around us, will be able to experience the fullness of God. Now look at this text from Luke chapter 6, verse, or, uh, 6, verse 36. Show mercy to others just as your Father shows mercy to you. That's what we're called to do. Now, I'm also starting my seventh year with you, but I'm also starting my 42nd year of ministry. That's hard to even come out of the lips. 42nd year of ministry. And, and something that I have heard from every single church I've ever served, from every uh, church I ever served as a district superintendent, uh, the, the thing that I heard and hear from people a lot is this. I, I'm not big enough uh, to be a, an agent of God. I'm not smart enough to be an agent of God. I'm not equipped to be an agent of God. I'm not big enough uh, to be an agent of God. I'm too small to be an agent of God. Well, if that's the case, then let me, let me see if you can uh, read this and, and, and catch this message. If you think you are too small to be effective, you have never been in bed with a mosquito. <laughs> Karen shared that message with me. She ripped it on magazine. Have you ever tried to go to sleep with a, with a mosquito in your bedroom? Somebody, somebody uh, came out of the 8 o'clock service, and, and I asked her to write this down for me. She says, even mosquitoes know the power in the blood. Folks, if you think you're too small to be used by the, by the power of God, then you need to stop thinking that way. Because you are created in the image of God. God has created you perfectly in his image. God wants to use you for the transformation of the world. God says, I have formed you. I have crafted you. I have given you gifts and skills. I have spoken truth into your life. And God simply wants to use you just the way you are for the transformation of the world. And how do we do that? We do that through the gift of mercy. How is it that not only God, through Jesus Christ, gives undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness, how is it that not only Jesus Christ does that, uh, but it, it's not just printed there uh, for us uh, to think, well, that was the work of Jesus. No, that is the work that is passed down to each and every one of us, that you and I are simply called to be people of mercy for the world in which we live. So today I, I simply want to share with you uh, three uh, ways that we can have a, create a lifestyle, build a lifestyle of mercy, and then after I talk about that, then I want to give you four places where you can be an agent of mercy in the world. Now, I want you to write this down. The, the first is this, building a lifestyle. Building a lifestyle, start looking and listening for people's needs. Philippians 2.4 says, look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. Here's reality as, I've, as I see it. As I see it in my own life and as I see it in your life and I see it in the life of many, many congregations all throughout this, this country and throughout the world. That when we wake up in the morning, many of us wake up and we put blinders on. 
We walk outside of, of our homes. We walk outside uh, 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 and go to work or go, go to the golf course or go to the tennis court, but we have blinders on. And we have these blinders uh, to all the needs of the world around us. And we need to start uh, looking and uh, listening uh, for those needs. But we have these blinders on uh, that there's no way that we're going to see a lot of the needs because uh, we, our, our periphery is cut off. Just go ahead and do this. Just put your hands up there. I know you're going to look crazy, but it's a great picture from up here. But I, I, simply, want, I simply want you to look out. So look out. Put your hands where you cannot see your periphery. That is the way many of us live our lives. We are blinded to the needs of the people who are living all around us. We don't have an awareness because we have no interest in them. We, we, we limit our interest in them. Let me, that's maybe a better way of saying it. And I simply want to say that we have to start looking and listening to the needs of the people who are living all around us. This text, Philippians 2.4, says, look out. Look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. Uh, many of you know that uh, Karen and I have two children, Amanda and Daniel. Uh, let me just answer the question now. Has Amanda had her baby yet? The answer is no. Mandy's here, her midwife. So if Mandy gets up and leaves in a hurry, guess who's going to be following her? No pressure, Mandy. No. We'll have a picture of you and Amanda and the baby up here next week. And we, Mandy says it's going to come this week. Right, Mandy? Yeah, thank you. So, um, anyways, I, we, Amanda, Karen, no, Karen and I have two kids. Um, and Sundays would go like this. I would preach three or four times on Sunday morning. I would come home. We'd have lunch. Uh, I would take a, about an hour nap. I get up from a nap. I want to read the newspaper for about 30 minutes. Uh, but Amanda is a... Um, uh, a precocious child. Anybody ever hear that word before about another, about another person? And, and so uh, about when she was about four or five years of age, she, this is her Sunday afternoon routine. I'd be sitting there reading the newspaper. I said, I want 30 minutes, and I would put a timer on. That meant nothing to her. And, and so I put the timer on, and she, she, she would let it go for a few minutes. And then she, she, said, she would just simply say, Daddy? Yes, dear. A few seconds go by. Daddy? Yes, dear. Daddy? And then she'd take her finger and put it on top of the newspaper and lower the newspaper down. And I'd say, yes, dear. What do you want? And out of the mouth of babes came these words. I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me. Who is it in your life right now that you are wearing blinders and you're not really looking at much of them or much of the people around you? I think we need to be really sensitive to the people who are on the periphery of our lives, not just in the front of us. But how do we begin to really listen and look at them and to count them as one of God's creations so that we can hear their needs? I think it's the first step to building a lifestyle of mercy. The second is this. 
I, I, I think we need, to, uh, we need not to be offended by their sin. Need not to be offended by their sin. I, I think it's important for us to recognize uh, that um, uh, we all do stupid things, right? Well, that was a weak answer. It's like, if I don't say anything, I don't do something stupid. So let me re-ask the question. We all do stupid things, right? Thank you. Yes, I do. Uh, I better chime in myself. Um, and we, we all are people of sin. And we all do those things that separate us from the love of God. Look at this text, First Peter. It says, most importantly, love each other deeply. Love has a way of not looking at others' sins. A friend of mine at, at, at our conference this week, he and I were sitting down uh, chatting, and he's another pastor in central Florida, and he was telling me about uh, a, a few weeks ago about how in a worship service like ours right now uh, that a person came in uh, uh, a few minutes just, just before the worship ser service started and, and um, came in and sat down on the last row of, of, of the sanctuary. And the person who had sat in that seat for the last 50 years, you know how I keep attendance on Sunday? You all don't move, except for a very few of you. You all don't move from where you sit. Amen? It's like your butts are glued to that spot. Uh, can I say that? I just did. Um, but anyways, this, this person had sat in that seat literally for 50, over 50 years. A stranger. The pastor said, not wearing that good of clothing. And that person, seated about four or five places down, had an option. Do I welcome the person? Do I stay here? Or do I move? Anybody want to guess what he did? He moved to another seat. If a person came into our sanctuary right now wearing tattered clothes, not smelling so good. Would you welcome them? Would you walk away? You know, we, we want to be, the perception that we want is that uh, uh, people, we want to believe that people in the church are, are loving and kind and gracious. Uh, we have a, we have a, um, um, Part of our reputation is that we are a very welcoming, loving church. And yet, if we go back to the records and we start looking at how many people come, have visited our church and are not here today, I understand my role in that. But what about your role in that? Are you welcoming? Are you loving? Are you reaching out? 
See, we, we really need to be not offended by other people's sin. You know, I think about Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. Who, who did Jesus uh, relate to? Sinners, prostitutes. Please understand I'm not equating the person who came in as a sinner at all. This is just Jesus' ministry now. He sat with the prostitutes. He sat with the tax collectors. He sat with the people who made life difficult for everybody else. How do you treat the sinner? The third way I think we need to create a lifestyle for mercy, for being people of mercy, is that we need to choose our words very, very carefully. I think about the ministry with Tice, United Methodist Church. We're trying to be bridge builders to Tice, partnering with Tice, encouraging Tice. And of course, uh, everybody here knows that we never want any credit. We don't wear our shirts that say Cypress Lake. We don't do that. But as we're doing this bridge building, what words are we using? Ministry stops because we say things that we're not even aware of that are cruel, that are hateful, not loving. And I simply want to challenge each of us uh, to be people who will be careful in our speech so that others will be drawn by who we are and be drawn into the kingdom by God's mercy. So let me ask you, are you careful with your words? Are you building bridges to family? Are you building bridges to your friends? Are you building bridges to your community? Are you building uh, bridges to your spouse? Are you building bridges to your children? Or are you, through the words that you choose to use, destroying the bridge? What are you better known as, as a bridge builder or a bridge destroyer? So, here, that, that's the lifestyle. How do we build a lifestyle? So let me talk to, talk to you just simply and very quickly uh, about uh, places that we can be bridge builders. Uh, how, how can we choose to be bridge, bridge builders in, 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 in four different locations? Uh, the, the first is this. Look for people. Look for people who are in crisis. Look for people who are in crisis. Uh, Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Look for people who are in crisis. Uh, this, um, uh, last night I was, I, was, I was coming back from annual conference and putting some uh, more work on, on the sermon. Uh, I, I, I went to my uh, iPad 
and I was looking at some of the news, and I never do that on Saturday nights, but I was just looking at some of the news, and I came across a story in one of the uh, news media uh, uh, sites uh, that talked about um, Universal Studios and an event that took place not too long ago. There's a family, uh, the Koppelman family, uh, uh, Lenore, Lenore and Steve Koppelman. They're from New York State. They were down at Universal Studios, um, and they have a son who's nine years old. His name is Ralph, and Ralph has autism. And uh, so uh, they, they went to Universal Studios, and they were having a great day. Um, they, were, they were waiting to do the Spider-Man ride last because that was um, uh, Ralph had his Spider-Man costume ready to put on just before going on the ride, and he was real excited about it, but they wanted to do everything else and to end with that. And so as they um, were coming to the end of their day, they were, they were walking over, getting in line for the Spider-Man ride, and all of a sudden, uh, it is announced that the ride is broken and was, and was going to be inoperable for a period of time. And with that news, uh, Steve and Lenore uh, knew that their son was going to have a meltdown. And he did. He, he, he started wailing. He started crying. He started laying on the ground and beating his fist on the ground. His parents tried to comfort him. And, and, and he just was un... He just, nothing was going to help him at all. A few minutes go by of this, and of course the crowd is looking, and of course some, you could hear some of the voices of other parents and other people saying, can't you control your child? It kept going. Parents were unable to control them. And then one of the employees comes over. Her name is Jen. And Jen, if you show me the picture, Jen just simply laid down next to Ralph. And in a very calming voice, just said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And in minutes, Ralph was calm. His parents were able to comfort him. Jen said, Universal Studios teaches us how to help with children who have autism. The question that came to me from this was, what would I have done? Would I have gone up to this family who's in crisis and just try to reach out to the mother and father? Here's reality. Reality as I see it, reality as I experience it every single day. There's not a day that goes by that I don't encounter someone who's going through some kind of crisis. What do I do? What don't I do? 
There are people in your life right now who are in crisis. And if we're going to be the people of God, called to be people who share God's mercy, we need to become less content of standing on the sidelines and not getting involved. I think the second place that we have to recognize that we need to be a part of is that, uh, that we need to look at people who are grieving and give them comfort. Um, I shared with a couple uh, congregations last week uh, that um, on Tuesday of this week, we're going to be remembering my mother's 10th anniversary of her death. And I'm not sure why, maybe it's just because it's a decade, but this has really hit me this year. And I'm grieving over that. I'm grateful that I have people who have come alongside of me to love me and encourage me during this and help celebrate. But I know that there are anniversaries coming up of deaths that are really tough. And we need to figure out how is it that we come alongside of those people that we love and care for? And not just physical death, but it's death that comes in crisis that comes in other ways. It's a death that comes, uh, the, the loss of a job, the loss of income, the loss of relationships. And, and we need to figure out, are we listening? Are we? And can we be people of caring and comfort and be people of mercy? And one of the great ministries of our church is what's called Stephen Minister's laypersons like yourself who are trained to be caregivers and listeners. And I just simply want to say to you that if you're here today and you are walking in the midst of sadness and the shadow of death, or you're watching at home and you're saying, you know what, I need somebody. If you're physically here today, go out the welcome station right across from that. Before you go out, there's a table there with a blue tablecloth there. Ask for help. Give us that privilege. If you're at home, email me. Call me. Call the church. Here's the third place. I think we need to, uh, I need to wrap this up. The third, the third place is that we need, need to look for people who need a second chance. Some of you are thinking right now, well, Tom, you do not know what that person did to me. There's no way I'm going to give them a second chance. And the likelihood is that if I ask that person, would you give this person a second chance, meaning you, they say, Tom, you don't know what they did to me. I'm never going to give them a second chance. You think about the disciple Peter. Peter, one of the three closest companions of Christ. And what did he do? Not once, not twice, but three times. He denied Christ. Folks, he denied Jesus Christ. Why in the heck would Jesus want to give him a second chance? 
And not only did it give him a second chance, but Jesus said, upon you I'm going to build my church. And here we are today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, on Pentecost, to remember that Peter was given a second chance. Who in your life do you need to give a second chance? And the, the, this is the one that you're going to have a hard time believing because I have a hard time believing that I wrote it down. But here it is. The fourth one is this. Look to people who are rude. Does anybody else have a problem with this? You know, my, my human instinct is this. I'd rather just go punch them out. All right? Can we just be human about it? I was having dinner with, my, uh, with Karen's uh, mother and brother and sister-in-law. This, uh, Karen's uh, brother, Carl's uh, wife, is Olga from uh, Colombia. And uh, back in the, uh, January February, they were in uh, Bogota uh, at her place. And uh, they were having a dinner party. And uh, there was just a small group of people. They were speaking English because um, uh, uh, Carl is a non-Spanish speaker. And so they were speaking English. And one of the men who was invited by Olga to be at the party... Uh, turned to Olga after she was uh, describing something in English and, and said to her in his broken English, uh, Olga, you've been in the uh, United States now for five years and your English is horrible. A few minutes go by and that same person was having a conversation with Carl, who is 62 years old and um, looks like he's early 50s. And, and, and the guy said, you know, how old are you? Carl said, 62. He said, man, you really look bad. If that's God calling, just tell him I'm almost done. But you can't answer it. There are people in our lives who are rude. We need to figure out how to share the gospel with rude people. It's much easier to turn around and walk away. Sometimes we have to do that. But the scripture says, don't repay evil for evil. Never retaliate when people insult you or say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God wants you to do, and he will bless you for it. So my simple question is, how do we do all this? How? And we look at Acts 1, verse 8, and it says, and you will be my witnesses. How are we to be a witness? And the answer is, Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And the disciples were gathered in an upper room, filled with fear and trepidation. And the power of God came down upon them like tongues of fire. And their hearts were strangely warmed. And they became members of the body of Christ to be people sharing mercy with one another. Undeserved forgiveness. Unearned kindness. If we want to change the world, it begins by receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to close this out with prayer. We're not going to close, guys, with a song. But I just simply want to say to you this. 
If you're here today and you just feel really challenged, don't, don't think I can, I can manage this, I can handle it, I can do it by myself. No. Come and allow those of us who are in ministry, whether lay or professional clergy, to be a part of your life. So my prayer for you is this. A new day will dawn because our God is both loving and merciful. And because God's children are loving and merciful. Go in peace. Amen.